So in our first church, Lori and I started out uh, with 12 people. We were only, I think I was 29 at the time. And um, we attracted a, a number of young couples, like b- about our own age. And one, one of these couples, the husband and the couple, he was kind of a hard guy to deal with. He was je- definitely a believer. He knew the Bible, but he also thought he knew everything. And he was kind of obnoxious at times and, um, and didn't hesitate to tell people they were raising their children wrong. They need to do it this way, not that way. And just anything he saw, he just went right after it. And uh, I was talking to a friend of his, uh, getting some advice. This other guy was a pastor also and knew, knew this guy really well. And he, he said this, he said, yeah, he can be a little bit like a blind dog in a meat market sometimes. And uh, if you think about that analogy, that described him really well. So uh, I set up a lunch with him and I approached him like he was a blind dog in a meat market. I just said, listen, I said, you're arrogant. And you're, you, we, you, gotta, you gotta humble yourself and get rid of all that pride. You don't know as much as you think you do. And not only do I think that, everybody thinks that. So I said something like that. Of course, that went well. He, <laughs> yeah. He immediately humbled himself and, you know, we, ended, we argued for 30, maybe 45 minutes. And finally, at the end, in exasperation, I said, listen, man, don't you know I care about you? Don't you know I love you? Don't you know that I, I see you as a highly gifted leader and you have incredible potential? And, and I'm just trying to point out something to you that will help you grow as a leader. And when I said that, he just sat there silent for, it seemed to me like 30 seconds or probably 10 seconds. And then he said, why didn't you say that at the beginning? He said, that would have made so much of a difference. And, you know, as I was preparing this message and I remember all of this, I thought, you know, I was the blind dog. I was, I was the blind dog in the meat market, not him. The way I approached him was without insight. It was without compassion. It was without concern. It was, I'm the one who knows and you're down here beneath me and I'm gonna tell you and your job now is to just fall on your face and grovel. And this passage today that we're gonna look at really tells us how to approach people. And it's not on the surface what we're gonna read. It's not exactly what you're gonna take it to be on the surface. But I wanna share with you the depth of this passage that we're gonna look at today from Matthew 7, verses one through six. Would you stand with me? We're gonna read it. I'll read it. You can read the screen and follow along quietly. Okay. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, the log is in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs or swine where they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, have a seat, please. 
Now, um, it would be very easy to just talk about judging for the next 30 minutes, just talk about how horrible judging people is and on and on and on. But the passage is about something far more deep than that. And, and this passage is not like a step-by-step formula on how to correct someone. You know, you, you sit down and you write out all your own sins, you know, for at least the last month. And then you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm looking at my own sins. I confess them to you. Now I can go rebuke them. Now I can go correct them. No, that's not what he's talking about here at all. In fact, the center phrase in this whole passage is, then you will see clearly. It's all about spiritual sight. And that's why he uses the whole, the whole illustration here. It's kind of like an illustration of eye surgery. You know, how do you perform eye surgery on someone? And, and so this takes it so much deeper than simply, you know, get that log out of your own eye so that you're, so that you're free then to go and correct your brother. It's not, it's that, that's not the thrust here at all. So verse one says this, verse one and two. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So this is a very strong warning. Uh, it's a warning about th- this principle of reciprocity, that what, what you put out there, what you're sowing out there is gonna come back at you. Okay, and I think he's talking here primarily on the human level. He's talking about relationally, although you know, it could have something to do with God's uh, working in our lives too, but he's talking about the relational aspect of if, if all I do is sow judgment to others, then I'm, I'm gonna have poor relationships. And I'm gonna be constantly talking about why doesn't anyone like me? Why doesn't anyone wanna be with me? Why don't I have any friends? It's gonna come back at me and I'm, I'm gonna pay a price for that. And so the, the whole idea though of judging, I think the clearest illustration of that that I, I'm aware of in the Bible is in the Gospel of Luke. It's not gonna be on the screen, I'm just gonna read it to you. This is Luke chapter 18 verses nine through 14. And um, so, some great insights here. Verse nine, Luke 18, Uh, he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like, like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we see here, for one thing, that judging others is when we exalt ourselves above others. And you look at what this guy actually did. Uh, One thing, he compared himself. He was comparing himself to other people and saying, well, thank you, God, that I'm not like that one, and I'm not like that one or that one. And especially this one, this this tax collector, because if you don't know, tax collectors in that day uh, were viewed as like the scum of the earth because they were viewed as uh, those that were traitors to the nation of Israel, working for the Roman uh, government. And so, second thing he did was this, he assumed he knew the tax collector's 
actions in life and heart. He looks at him, he recognized him as the tax collector. I'm sure it was because of the way he was dressed. They, they were wealthy, dressed wealthily. Maybe he knew that this guy was a tax collector. But he assumes that he knows what this tax collector's life and heart are really like. And then this, he brags to God. He comes to God saying, look, you know, look what I've done. I fast twice a week, and, and I'm not like that one, and I'm not like that. I don't commit adultery, and I, you know, I'm certainly not like this tax collector. And so he bragged about his own accomplishments in, in really an, oper, an effort to gain credit with God. He's trying to gain credit with God. And then finally, he holds others in contempt. He held this, uh, this, this, um, this um, tax collector in contempt. And you know, contempt is one of the worst forms of relating to other people that there can be. Because it's, it's not just a matter of being upset with someone or being mad at someone for something they did, which you can always go talk about and reconcile. When you hold someone in contempt, that, that other person, you are viewing that other person as worthless. That's what contempt is saying you're worthless, you're not worth my time, you are beneath me. It's not worth it for me to even give you a moment of my time. It's, it's, it's saying that they are deserving of scorn and rejection. And so all of this comes together to show us uh, this judgmental heart of the Pharisee. But look at the tax collector. Tax collector comes just with a humble recognition of his need. That's it, he doesn't come for credit he comes for mercy. And that's how we approach God. We come with, for mercy. We come, we come knowing that God is merciful, knowing that he is compassionate and that we can get compassion from him. But have you ever heard that phrase, uh, there but for the grace of God go I? Have you ever, some of you ever said that? I probably said that in years past. But I was talking with a friend of mine one day, a fellow pastor, and we're talking about this other pastor who had just fallen into sin. And, and my friend um, said, you know, he said, I've heard this phrase there, but for the grace of God go why, and I hate it. And he said this, he said, what that's implying is that guy didn't have the grace of God. What's that, what that's implying is that person didn't, you know, I had some advantage, that's why they fell into sin. And really, I think that's the truth. It is the truth. It is that I am saying that somehow, I, you just have to leave that in mystery. And what we both agreed was, we, we have no idea. And, and we can't judge our brother because we have no idea what he went through or what his background was. But we're not gonna look at him and say, we got grace, he didn't get grace. Now, the, um, the, the whole concept of judging is outlined clearly in Romans 2 and verse 1 again, where he said, well, well the, first of all, I want to go back to this. He called him a hypocrite. Now, that comes later. Sorry, I read that in the main passage, but it comes later. Romans 2, 1, he says this. He says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, what he's saying here is that you do the same things. That doesn't mean like one-for-one equivalence. 
Uh, it could mean, as this Pharisee judged others for adultery, it could mean he's lusted, and Jesus said, if you've lusted after a woman and you indulge that, that's, the, that's adultery. It could mean that. But the word same things, in the way it's stated, and it's in a plural form, it means you rebel against God too. That's what it means. It says you're in the same category, and you also have rebelled against God. And the thing is, when, we, when people judge others, they have a tendency to categorize rebellion and to say, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that person. You know, they did something far worse than me. And when the truth of the matter is, rebellion is rebellion. All Adam and Eve did was eat a piece of fruit. But it was the very thing God told them not to do. Therefore, it was rebellion against God. And, and so, when we look at it that way, yeah, and, I, and I look at my own life, and I say, well, you know, I've, I've, I've rebelled against God. How can I judge someone else who has rebelled against God? And the, uh, the idea, it's like this. Let's say your boss, let's say you are a sales account manager, and your boss says, look, we're about to lose this really important account. There are five things you have to do to keep that account. I want you to do these, and he, gives, he outlines the five things you have to do to keep the account. And you go and you, say, you, you do all the first four, but by the time you get to number five, you're kind of tired and worn out, and you just think, ah, I did the first four, that's 80% right. And I, I did half of this last one, that puts me at 90%. I'm just gonna leave it, that has to be good enough. And you lose the account because you didn't complete the task. Does your boss come to you and say, well, hey, you know, you did 90% of it. That's a B plus. Is that what happens? No. You get fired because you didn't, you didn't do what you were asked to do. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. And I mean, once a person comes to Christ, it's a different thing. But we're talking about humanity's relationship with God. If I break the law in one point, I've broken the law. That's all that, that's all that matters. And, and, and I've rebelled. And the Bible says that all have broken the law, all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory. And so how can any of us look at another and say, well, I've rebelled, but you rebelled worse. No, rebellion is rebellion. And so when we look at it that way, it sets us up to to take a step in the direction of self, honest self-examination that will lead to humility, that will lead to God's heart for the other person and insight into what's happening. And so verse, verse three says this, verses three and four. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, the log is in your own eye. Now, this is like the ultimate hyperbolic illustration because it's, it's an impossibility what he's proposing here. But the proposal is your brother has a little tiny piece of sawdust in his eye, but you have a beam in your eye. And by beam, it's, it's referring to a, a, a long piece of t- timber if you've ever been into, in a log uh, cabin or a log house or a lodge, you know, a big lodge and any of these big pieces of timber, you know, going across and, and timber holding, it, that's what he's referring to here. And so think of it as like a six by six, eight, eight feet long, and somehow that's stuck in your eye, 
And here your brother has a little speck of dust in his eye, and you are the surgeon going into the operating room, because we're talking about eye surgery here. That's what this illustration's all about. And so you have to work your way around the door to get that eight-foot log into the room. You need a friend to be there with you, and if the friend doesn't pay attention, one of the nurses asks you a question, you go like that, you knock her out. And then you say, where is the patient? Is he under yet? And you turn this way and you knock the anesthetist out. I mean, it's an impossibility. That's what he's saying. And besides, have you ever really had something in one of your eyes? Do you just kind of like go about life and keep the other eye wide open, normal? No, I mean, if, if one eye is really hurting, you can't do anything. And so he's saying here, you lack sight. If you're lacking in insight, you can't see well enough to help your friend, your brother. And so um, he goes on then in verse five, and he says, you hypocrite. And you know what hypocrite means? It just means actor, pretender. You know, you pretender. I mean, we hear the word hypocrite and we think like it's, it's gonna come with an acidic tone of voice and and like, but he's really just saying, you know, you're an act, you're just acting. You're a pretender. You're not really one who's helping other people, in other words. And so he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then this phrase, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That is the center of this whole thing. That is why we take the log out of our own eye, or take the speck out of our own eye, or whatever it happens to be. And he's not talking about the physical here, he's talking about the spiritual. And so whatever it is, I, you know, I have to have a heart of humility that says, God, search my heart. You know, God, I, but not just before I wanna, wanna help someone else, this needs to be my heart attitude in an ongoing way. God, search my heart. Lord, what are you working, you know, okay, God, we took care of that and, and you've given me uh, strength and power to to control that thought. Now, what's the next thing you wanna work on in my life? And with this sense of humility that I'm not gonna judge others, you know, I've, you know, I've been in rebellion against God myself, and so we're, we're humbling ourselves before God. And when we humble ourselves, the, the Bible says this, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And I wanna tell you, if you, if you find a beam in your eye, um, and, and you see it, and you haven't seen it before, and you are a genuine believer, it's gonna break your heart before God. You're gonna think, oh God, how could I have tolerated that in my life? I never saw it that way before. And, and there's humility that comes, and, and James 4, 6 says, God gives grace to the humble. And, and so he's talking about here recognizing my own failure, recognizing my own rebellion against God, and, and then just having a humble heart before God and before others where I don't compare myself to others, but out of humility comes a closeness to God and a spiritual insight that I need because I need to see clearly. I need to see clearly, not just to help somebody who, who needs help, I need to see clearly for all my relationships, all of them. If I don't see clear, I need to see clearly for every relationship that I have, I need spiritual insight to know when do I talk to my child about this, or when do I talk to my spouse about this, or my fellow worker, or you know, should I just sit back and listen right now, 
Or are they really looking for an answer? Or are they, or are they just wanting to talk? And I just need to sit back and listen and bless them. I, we need spiritual insight in order to uh, have good relationships in all of our relationships because it's, it's God who changes people's hearts, not me, not you. Not, not the strength with which I say you are arrogant. It's God who changes hearts. And you know, sometimes I think, um, especially for people who are gifted prophetically, so if you're here, you're, you're, you're kind of like you lean into that gifting, it's easy to misunderstand a lot of the Old Testament and to think, well, Old Testament prophets, they were harsh. They yelled at people. And on occasion, they, they were harsh. You can just tell by the words that were used. But like the quintessential illustration of this might be King David. After he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered so he could marry her, and he hid it for a year, then the prophet Nathan comes to him and he presents this whole scenario to him. You know, there's a man in the kingdom who had a whole herd of sheep, but when he had guests come, he went to his neighbor who only had one sheep, and that sheep was his family's pet, and he took that sheep for himself instead of taking one of his own. And David is irate, and he wants to bring that man in here. We're going to deal with that guy. And it's so easy, and I've seen pictures of this with, like, Nathan standing like this, and his finger is long and pointing at David, and with a sneer, you know, on his face as he says, thou art the man. And I think it, that just is not the reality of how that would have happened. Now, in some cases, when they were dealing with kings that were in total rebellion against God, but in this case, where David was a man after God's heart, all he had to do was whisper it. All he had to do is take a step closer and say, my king, you're the man. It's you. And, that, and, and then God works. And so it takes insight. It takes sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to see what God's doing in that other person's life. In the Old Testament, in 2 Kings 6, uh, we see Elisha and his servant are in a city that has been surrounded by enemy troops, and Elisha's servant is all up in arms about that and doesn't know what to do. He's worried and fearful. And, and God says, oh, Elisha, don't, or Elisha says to his servant, don't worry, there are more with us than with them. And then he prays, God, open his eyes. And God opens this guy's eyes, and he sees the hills fill, filled with fiery chariots, with angels, ready to do battle on their behalf. And so you and I need that type of insight. And Jesus said this in John 5, 19. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So Jesus saw what the Father was doing. He had insight to see how God was working in the, in the lives of people around him so that he could cooperate with what the Father was doing. And so this passage is all about us humbling our hearts, stepping into a deeper intimacy with God through that humility and the spiritual insight and wisdom that comes with that type of intimacy with God because it's God that changes lives not you, not me. Now, verse six goes, goes on, and uh, this verse just seems to be totally unrelated, but it's not. It fits in perfectly. And uh, this whole idea of when I gain insight, what happens is I see the person as a person, 
not as someone who has done this thing, or not as someone who is deserving of rejection, but just as a person. And, and, I, and I have humility in my heart, so I begin to flow with God's heart towards them. And God's heart is compassion. And so I begin to flow with God's compassion towards the person, and then when that compassion flows, that's when heaven flows through me into their life to change them and to touch them and to bless them. And so no compassion uh, means my heart's not right. And we can even use this as a, as, a, as, as a method of judging our own hearts, of evaluating our own hearts. If I have no compassion for that person, then I, I need to get compassion for them. I need God's insight to look at them with compassion. But then he goes on in verse six and he says this, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs or swine or they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, first of all, Jesus is using, just as he used this hyper illustration of the log in your eye, he's using another hyper illustration here, hyperbole. And in this, this illustration, he's talking about helping people and giving them something that is holy, which would be your wisdom, would be your heart, your life, you're opening yourself up to them, you're giving them truth, you're giving them insight, and, and hopefully you're giving them an invitation from God to, to step back into uh, obedience to God and, and His blessing, and you're going to be there for them to help them. But he says, don't do that with dogs, because dogs don't understand like a dog doesn't understand something that's holy. And neither do, neither do pigs appreciate pearls. Pigs want something to eat. And do you realize that pigs are vicious? Did you know that, that half a dozen pigs could consume an entire human body in a little over a day? That's the truth, it's the truth. There was a guy in North Dakota that died of a heart attack and fell into his pig pen and by the time someone, must have been a farmer living by himself, by the time they found him missing a couple days later, all they could find was his dentures. And so when Jesus used this illustration, there's the double impact of pigs being something that was anathema to the Jews, as well as the fact that pigs are, are and can be uh, really vicious. That's why feral pigs are something that can be very dangerous in the wild. But um, the picture here is of Approaching someone who's not ready. Approaching someone who's not receptive. And you lay your heart up before them. And, and you give, and you're going you're to pay a price for that. If it's not God's leading, if it's not God's timing, if you don't have insight as to what God's doing in their life, so that you can join in with what God's doing, then you're really pretty much operating in your own power and that's a dangerous thing to do. It's probably not gonna end up with physical harm, it could, but uh, I remember the, the story of Dave King um, and, a, and a guy who stopped by the church challenging Dave and, um, when Dave was our executive pastor, but, but it, it probably doesn't, isn't gonna lead to that, but it can lead to a vicious attack. It, it, can, it can lead to your integrity being questioned. It can lead to you not being a loving person and, and it, it can lead to gossip about you and so what he's saying here is that it takes insight and wisdom 
to know what's the right time. It doesn't, it's not like the person who has, who's, who's not open, it doesn't mean I'm not their friend, but it means I'm, I'm sensing, when's the right time for me to talk to them about this? God, what are you doing in their heart and their life? Are they ready? And boy, this is important in parenting too, especially once your kids become up into the teenage years. You know, and what's, even this, what's happening? Is, is this rebellion or is this immaturity? Because those two things should be handled differently. And it really takes Holy Spirit given wisdom and insight and discernment to know those things. And when we do, then we might say, well, all right, it's not the right time. So I'm not gonna say anything right now. Or it might be that, um, you know, my heart's not right, God. I, I realize my heart's not right. You know, I'm, I'm the blind dog in the meat market right now, so I better just keep my mouth shut. I better go off and get my heart right with God and get my heart right towards this other person so that I can, I can bless them. And, and so it gives us wisdom to know. And Proverbs 25, 11 says, the right word at the right time is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. Okay, is that good? Right word at the right time. Right word at the right time. And then my own heart in Galatians 6, 1, it says, brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Now, when he says caught in any wrongdoing, it doesn't mean, ha we caught you doing something wrong. It means they're trapped in it. They're trapped in it. And, and so takes insight to know that. Are they trapped in this? Is, this? is this a repeated thing that I've seen over and over and over, and they're trapped in it? Well, it says, he says it takes a spiritual person to restore that person, someone with, with close relationship with God and spiritual insight uh, to restore them. The whole point is restoration. It's not to point a bony finger at them and accuse them of sin. It is restoration. And so it's um, my own heart has to be right. And this idea of doing it with gentleness, that, that leads into compassion. And there can, you know, the blowback from this might be from the enemy. And you being, you being, uh, you being drawn into the same sin. And you know, sometimes people will be hiding something in their own life and, and it will be, they, they will then be especially harsh towards other people committing the same sin. That's what David did. David was irate when he heard about this man who took the other man's sheep when he had a whole flock of sheep. And so I don't know what all the dynamic there is, but I've seen that many times. Uh, someone who's particularly angry with husbands because they aren't loving their wives right. You know, when I hear that, and I hear like there's a hook in the person's heart, there's a barb in the person's heart, I just, my ears perk up and I think, I wonder. I wonder if there's something there that, that is in this, this person's life. So, so we need to, um, that was a side note, okay? We wanna make sure we're not tempted as well. Temptation could be to be drawn into the same thing they're doing, or it could be just to go away with a judgmental or harsh or angry attitude. It could be a number of things, the temptation, but it, it needs to be done with gentleness and kindness. So spiritual insight, which we get 
by humility, humbly looking at our own hearts and lives. And then that leads to uh, compassion because I'm able to see the other person as a real human being who is trapped in something and not, not as just a, a, a person that makes me uncomfortable or that I'm angry with or anything like that. That gives me the heart of God the Father for them. Compassion, compassion is God's heart. And when I get God's heart for the person of compassion, then wisdom and understanding and the power of the Holy Spirit is released through me because it's his power that changes people, not me. And then in 2 Timothy, not going to read this, but he talks about the fact that it's God who works to give repentance. It's God who gives repentance. And so, just in humility, I'm relying on God, you know, to, to grant repentance to others and to show me when it is time to step in or not time to step in. So, I suppose there are a lot of different ways this could apply to our lives. Um, I think the simplest thing, though, is just, have I been judging other people? Have I looked at my own life and compared my life to theirs and said, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are, and used that to justify something in my own life? Because if I've done that, that's something I need to turn from. I need to confess that to God and repent of that very action of justifying something wrong in my life because I look at someone else who I think is worse. And so I think that's one of the things God wants to, wants to do to uh, free us today. Second thing is this, do I, do I go about in life thinking it's my duty to fix everybody? Oh boy, it's my duty to fix you. I've at least got to tell you you're wrong. I've got to always speak up in every situation. And speaking up is not a bad thing, but we need to be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit's leading in this situation. But if any of us feel like, like maybe you come from a background that emphasized that and you feel a burden you would feel guilty if you walked away without telling them that you disagree with them. You, know, you would feel guilty if you walked away from them without, say, without correcting them or rebuking them. If that's the case, then I think God wants to give you some freedom from that. And I th- think what he wants to give all of us is just this sense of we need insight for all of our relationships, every relationship we have. And so would you stand, we're gonna, we're gonna pray. Our prayer team's gonna come to the front.